Welcome to Simon and White in the podcast at the Center of Business, Media, and Politics. I'm Christian White and joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, please say hello. Uh, Mark, we have some headline uh, data on inflation. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. 8.6% was the read uh, for inflation in uh, May. Uh, the previous read for the previous month was 8.3%. Uh, analysts expected basically the same level, 8.3%. But uh, investors and people flogging stocks on cable news were basically saying, well, maybe it's better. Maybe we're past the peak, as if the peak is something that just comes and goes and then we're, we're all safe after that. Uh, but not only was it not better, nor was it stable, it was worse. The market reacted both before and the day before the news came out when uh, rumors started to swirl that it was going to be worse. The market tanked, tanked again on Friday. Um, and, uh, you know, this is not great news for people. 8.6% uh, more for the same basket of goods now that they bought a year ago. I think it's actually worse if you, if you look in reality. These numbers don't seem to reflect the true no, price of food and fuel and things that are coming out. So what do you think this means for, uh, for finance and for politics? I think this is very bad news for people, you know, besides politics and finance. I mean, I, I am... Some of us are lucky and we do well in life. And, and, you know, when I go to the store, it doesn't really affect my purchasing. You know, and I, I hit Costco once every couple of weeks or something like that. But when I talk to the people at Costco, and I do, I, you know, I, I, the, I'm the bothersome individual that always asks stupid academic economic questions. And I, I had a really interesting conversation with a Costco, the manager, the guy who runs the store. And he said, they are starting to look at items that are much cheaper in terms of what people can afford. Um, and Costco is basically, you know, it's basically the Sam's Club for rich people with, you know, small businesses. I mean, they're, you know, but right. it's not, it, it's more expansive than it, now it used to be. But look, I mean, first of all, you're spot on this, this 8.6%, a lot of it's driven by fuel. There's no doubt about that, but fuel goes into everything. So, that's one of the arguments that boils my blood a little bit when somebody goes, well, it's really only gasoline. I said, yeah, yeah. the farmer buys gasoline, the tow truck driver buys gasoline. All these people buy gasoline. All these people have to go into these things. There's also massive wage inflation. And that drives up, you know, when you go to the store, you're paying for the guy who, you know, stocks the shelves. He's got to make more money. And that drives in. Look, I think politically, this is a disaster. The best line I heard the other day, the guy goes, oh, June 6th. You mean when gasoline was $2.19 a gallon? <laughs> you know, <I> mean, January, <laughs> January 6th, $2.19 a gallon. So, you know, that, that's, 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 that's the, our January. I'm going to steal that. That's, that's actually very good. It's a great line. You know, <laughs> um, but the thing is, is like people are hurting. And, and, I, and I think what we don't understand is, you know, <sighs> As I said, the our elites are so freaking removed. I mean, sometimes you're lucky if you get someone like Maria Bartiroma on Fox and some of the other people who I think they're. I'll even give Becky Quick a, a shout out over at, at over at a CNBC. I see some, but when you see Andrew Sorkin or you see some of these other people on there, they have no connection. You know, the, some of these elite Wall Street Journal reporters who don't make as much as they I don't, I don't know how they get that attitude. They don't make that much. And they live in the New York area. And and they basically are people are making choices 
about what they are buying to feed their family. Okay, people have always made choices, but when the basket's this big, okay, I'll do it. People are now deciding not to buy certain proteins. I'm not gonna buy certain seafoods. That's a hard thing on families, and that's a hard thing on parents. And this is this it's this is really bad. Politically, I think unfortunately for the Republicans, um, I think it's not good in mm-hmm. one way. I'll tell you what. I think if we focused on this, it would be fine. But unfortunately, we have, and I'm gonna get in trouble for this. We have this absolute tendency to go because our, a lot of our punditry is not focused on economics, but on cultural issues. We have, for some reason, a desire, we're just as bad as the left in bringing it back to our issues. So it's the Marjorie, whatever her name is down in Georgia, the Bohart Fox is no help in a lot of this stuff because they're always looking for a hot button issue. Mm-hmm. Focus on inflation, focus on solving the economy, laser focus on that and you'll be okay. But it's like in a daily thing. I do not think the Republican Party has focused in on the economy the way they should. There's way too many issues. It's what you, you watch like some of these other channels, you read some of these blogs. They are not focused on the economy. They are focused on every other issue, every other outrage, every other let's own the libs or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Right. They don't care. And 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 the fact is because they're they've become elites too. And I'm gonna get in trouble for that. But if somebody watches, so so that it's really <laughs> it's really problematic. And so right. I think, well they don't they're not running think, on an agenda really either. That's they're my basically point. What's your yeah. agenda. Yeah. What's your agenda? Your agenda should be basically two chickens in every pot that people can afford the pot and they can afford the chickens. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we're basically talking everything but that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's still, right. Fox is still running around every place. Um, I'm critical of them because I, I think they basically really don't understand. I think they've lost the plot now. They get on it sometimes, but, you know, it's like, uh, it's like some, I hate to quote John Stewart or Joe Rogan, when you got 24 hours a day to fill, you know what I'm saying? You're going to fill it with something. It should right. be nonstop focus on the economy. Our people shouldn't talk about anything else. Uh, McConnell and McCarthy shouldn't talk about anything else. I think McConnell will laser focus on it. But the fact of the matter is decisions that people make on who they're going to vote for are made when? They are made basically by September. Yes, yeah, sometimes even long before, more with presidential elections, I, I, I still, you know, three decades later, lament that Bill Clinton was able to say that the 19, the early 90s recession was the worst since the Great Depression. Actually, it was the most shallow and short recession since the Great Depression at the time. Yeah. Um, and it was over, I believe, by 1991, maybe even by 1990. Now, the recovery was slower than it should have been. But as of late 1992, voters uh, had basically still decided that George Bush was a recession president. Um, and then, you know, it worked for Clinton, unfortunately. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, and, and that's the whole thing. You're not going to get any help from these people. Okay. I mean, we should even be talking about urban crime, not to switch too much, but urban crime in the cities. That is a massively inflationary. People don't realize it. It raises the cost of everything. It raises the cost of personal security. It raises the cost of property security. It raises the cost of the city having to deal with things. So therefore, there's no chance 
of any type of other relief programs the city could undertake because they're always dealing with criminals running around. You know, people don't people don't realize like when there's a criminal incident, all those assets have to be go down there and use. If there's a shooting on a street in New York City, fire, police, traffic, everybody has to go down there. Crime costs a lot of money. It also drives people out. It it it, it kills opportunities for people. It makes sometimes the suburbs in the Amer- around surrounding areas more expensive because basically it's driving people into different into different solutions for their lives that they wouldn't have to do if you didn't have crime. San Francisco is the classic example. Chessie, Chessa Borden, you know, the son of cop killers, um, you know, it's not his fault, but I mean, I, I, I can't believe Cuomo pardoned his father who basically, you know, let his father out. Right, this you is know. the San Francisco attorney, San Francisco uh, district attorney, attorney who just got I mean, bounced but by the voters. Fact of the matter is what he doesn't understand is he thinks it was all about criminal justice. No, it was about economics. Look who voted him out. If you look at the heat map, you look at the maps of who voted. The people who voted for him were the usual rich, white, elitist left wingers. I, and I use the term white elitist. Look at the district that voted for him. They love him. You know why? Because they've hired their own private security firms. They've got Clouton City Hall to get cops down there. They know how to move people on. They live almost this clustered life, but they're going to inflict him on the Asian American community, and they're going to inflict him on everybody else. And those communities rose up and said, no, they said, we're not going to take it. And that's why you really saw, I thought it was an incredibly encouraging sign. I think the future of our urban cities is when our next wave of immigrants take them over. The Italians and the Irish are spent. They've, they've had their time in there. You know what I'm saying? Now we, now we have all the, uh, now we have all the elites moving back in there doing the things. But it's, it's it, when you see the disconnect, when you see the disconnect with people in Washington, D.C. with crime, in New York City with crime, th- these cities have a real, real problem. And, you know, I even use that for the Asian-American journalists who are elites, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they seem to drink the Kool-Aid or. Oh, they um, drink the Kool-Aid so, totally. But I yeah. mean, no. You saw this in New York, didn't you, where Mayor Adams, when he was elected, uh, it was the opposite of what you'd expect. You'd expect Manhattan uh, and the Upper East and West Side to be a little more conservative, you know, heavy Jewish pockets on the Upper West Side, what's sort of left of Wasp, New York on the Upper East Side. Um, but it was the opposite. It was the outer boroughs, more ethnic that, uh, with the exception of Staten Island, that which Staten Island is actually more Republican, but it was Queens and Brooklyn, particularly Queens that uh, propelled Adams um, into the the mayor's office. Um, He's been a little bit disappointing. I I guess I'm still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, sorting through some very different politics. Of course, he's the mayor of New York, not the dictator of New York, has a city council to deal with judges, uh, big media, big uh, special interest groups that are in favor of going soft on crime. But what do you think about him in general? What do you think about New York? Are you optimistic on uh, New York or not really? No, I, I, th- I think what's happened is, look, I have to tell you, I have this, I've always had this theory that like the smartest people, have you ever heard the thing, only a smart person could screw something up that badly? <laughs> I mean, New York City is the same way. You know, I, I, you can say what you want to say about Giuliani later in life, but Giuliani was a good mayor. People liked him. He cleaned the city up. He opened things up. He understood the economics of the mafia having, you know, two entrances to the fish market, you know what I'm saying? Four entrances, the mafia couldn't control all the entrances. 
letting letting you know passing an ordinance that let you know fruit vendors and everybody else stand in different spots so the mob couldn't control that. The guy was smart. He has street smarts. And and but basically was Giuliani a rocket scientist? No. But actually Giuliani's a cigar guy and I've smoked cigars with Giuliani a couple of times. And <laughs> I think the thing that you see is that basically this is a guy who just wanted to get things done. He understood it. Mayor Koch was the same way. De Blasio is basically was an elite. Bloomberg actually, in fairness to him, was a guy who got things done too. You know, he's a businessman. He gets things done. He knows how to work, move large organizations. Mayor Adams, I think his problem is, I think his instincts are good. I think now, first of all, he does do this. I'm a cop. I'm a cop. Uh, he, he was not really, um, uh, I, I wouldn't say, I think politics has been his career. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a yeah. policeman who went into politics. And so he's he's really a politician, but he understands what police are up against. But the problem that you have is New York City, like a lot of places, there is an elite that for whatever reason it is. Um, and I think it's ego as much as anything else. I really think it's almost a sin, sinful disease they have. But white elites do not care about communities of color. They mm -hmm. really don't. The white left elite, it's all an experiment for them. It's all virtue signaling for them, you know, and and I have just come to the conclusion that New York City is going to have to have this upswing and revolution of um, basically the new immigrant class, new people coming in, you know, and do things that I use. I, I mentioned the Asian American journalist earlier. Um, I actually was the one who launched Apple Daily USA. In other words, that was my job. I'd launch stuff and then people would come in quickly. And so and this is the work. U.S. English language version it, of um, a media it, company it that also, grew out of Hong Kong the, and Taiwan that was pro-democracy. Also the Chinese language. I launched that. I hired uh -huh, the guys right, to put it up. Right. But I did focus group. I, I probably did nine, eight or nine focus groups. And I did, I still remember, maybe say I did seven focus groups with like people we were targeting, things like that. Complete, all in agreement, crime, economics, regulatory oh, environment, real estate, they were always interested in. So we had a big real estate push, you know, entertainment. Really what I would call, and these are educated, successful people. Okay. Then I did one with basically all these U.S. born Chinese Americans. Okay. Unfortunately, I don't know how it happened. I think we got into the wrong click. But all of them like went to really good schools. You know what I'm saying? I don't think we have a Harvard guy there, but I remember we had a couple of Yaleys and, you know, <laughs> good schools. Basically, it was sitting like sitting down with a bunch of white left wing liberals. Completely different. They, they basically have adopted in their world. The way they get ahead is they go into that. And it's the same. There's a group called the Asian American Journalists Association. And I can talk about them because basically in the in the 2000s, we 2010, 2000, 2014, I actually gave them money. Okay, I actually gave them money we, from App, Apple Daily because we had some guys who were Asian American journalists, and our people went there, and you know, quite frankly, it's basically like one of the guys said to me. He said, "Yeah, he said, you know, they're nice people. They're trying hard, and I and I, I think they should have their association." But they really do buy into the left wing lines. If you look at like, if you look at if you look at all those journalists, they say, "Well, why do I have to have an Asian American line? You don't have to have one, but let's just recognize you don't speak for the Asian American community." Stop Asia hate. 
Stop Asia Hate, if you ever see who they get their money from, their whole thing is basically partisanship. The fact of the matter is we need to be honest about this. Asians who are attacked live in urban areas. The people who are attacking them are African-Americans by and large. There's a few Twitter accounts. There's a few journalists like uh, Damien Damien Liu and a couple of others who who actually point this out. Okay. Nobody wants to hear that on the left. Nobody wants to talk about that. And Asian American journalists are failing their community by just basically going on along with the company line. And I use them as the most egregious example of when you go into New York City, you go into Washington, D.C., San Francisco, a lot of these urban places, the people who are really almost, I wouldn't say cheerleaders, but the most tolerant of crime tend to be white liberal elites. And a lot of the reason why is because they live behind, they live in a world where it doesn't really affect them as much. You right. know, there's the odd, there's the odd, oh, somebody got a purse snatched, or there's the odd, but you know, they don't they don't live with gunfire on their streets. They live in the right part of town. And they also more and more, I, I, I was really kind of shocked. I was in I was up in uh New York the other day. I don't know if it was the upper west side or the upper east side. I can't remember it was one of the upper sides. And and I saw these private security guards walking around. And I was like, whoa, you know, <laughs> so they they basically and here's the whole thing. I spent some time in South Africa. I'm getting I'm old, but I was in South Africa in the 90s. Reminded me of that. Basically, the whites had their, you know, when I was in the Philippines, you know, I lived in the Philippines for a number of years. They have like their little villages and 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 that's the way it is. And, they, yeah. and so they inflict these bad policies. You know, Chicago is is sort of a perfect version in the sense that you have these left-wing activists, black mayor, but backed up by uh, you know, white elitist liberals who yeah. inflict the soft on crime um, policy. And so what do you have? You have uh, blacks overwhelmingly victimizing other blacks, but you know, generally are, are propelling this crime wave. Um, and it's like, you know, this all started with Black Lives Matter. So it was like, how is this helping black lives uh, or I anyone's think, for that yeah, matter? I think it's always just been, I, I think Monaghan was, I was like, you know, Pat Monaghan was the last guy who I think really gave a shit. And I think the rest of everybody, I think until since that time, it's been like an academic experiment on what you can do with to do to people. And so my hope is it's one of the things I say in the Republican Party. I think every single time we get a chance to run a good minority candidate, you know, Herschel Walker is not the most, you know, he's not exactly my cup of tea and everything. But, yeah, I'd support Herschel Walker because I think he basically brings our message up. There's this guy up in uh, Illinois named Irvin who's running for governor and he's doing pretty good. I think he's leading in the polls and actually they're so scared. The left is so scared of him. They're spending money in support of his opponents. Yeah. Because he's an African. That's amazing for Illinois to be at risk or California for that matter. Now at risk with Caruso. I mean, that's Los Angeles. It's not the state statewide is still a disaster, but the fact that LA may put, you know, sort of in the same way they elected Richard Reardon when the wheels came off last time, late eighties, early nineties, that someone who until recently was a Republican, is a billionaire, is a land developer. These are, you know, the people that are sort of enemy number one in the pantheon of liberal enemies in California. It'll be a tight race, but he's going up against just the standard machine Democrat liberal. He's changed his party to Democrat, which I love. It's sort of like what Bloomberg did. Bloomberg, when he ran um, to succeed Giuliani, if I recall correctly, he sort of was like, well, 
the Republican side of this ticket is kind of crowded. Um, or no, excuse me, the Democrat one is crowded and there's no one really on the Republican side and Rudy's a Republican. So he just, oh, I guess I'm a Republican. And he did that for as long as it was useful. So it's kind of fun to see someone doing yeah, it the I, other way in LA. I mean, this, this, is, this, is, this is the point. There's actually a really good article by Jim Garrity in National Review where he basically tells the Democrats the same thing. Uh, not to get off too much, but I actually do believe what he's saying. I've thought about it for a while. The Roe v. Wade decision, if the Democrats are smart, they may not be able to do it. But the fact is they got to start running people who represent the values of those communities. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like Liz Cheney is getting killed in, killed, killed in Wyoming. You know what I'm saying? Why is she getting killed? Not because, she, I, I think in part because, you know, it's the Trump thing, but it's just become obvious to a lot of people that Liz Cheney doesn't represent the people of Wyoming anymore. Yeah, she, she doesn't do public doesn't. events there. I'm not sure. I don't know if she's flying private. No one sees her, you know, uh, living in Colorado. Um, a lot of times coming back on a Thursday or Friday from D.C., you'll see not only the Colorado delegation flying to Denver, but also the Wyoming delegation. Sometimes Idaho or sometimes they go through Salt Lake or, or uh, Minneapolis. But, um, yeah, no one's ever sort <laughs> of spotted Liz Cheney around. She's, well, I mean, thing, you know, her, her constituents are the elite in Washington. She's her, from her I mean, I, had a, I, I have people ask me all the time how they can help Liz Cheney. And I'm like going... She's a representative of a state and of a district or whatever. Why she? Wyoming has one, right? Yep, she's uh, at large. The whole state. She, she's at large. So the whole thing is, is like you know, mm -hmm. come on. I mean, all you got to do is represent your people. You know, I still remember the greatest line I ever heard was in Hong Kong, and I can't remember who said it, but somebody was giving this guy a hard time about why he was being tough on China, and he said, "Well, if you're from like the tenth district of Illinois, then." I care what you think, but if not, I don't give a damn what you think. You know, and I was like, I, was like <laughs> I, was, I think he was a Democrat. If I can't remember, he came out in a delegation, but I, I'm getting old. I can't remember. I should. It was fantastic because I started a couple of us started laughing and somebody goes, that's awful. And I go, no, that's great. He knows his job. His job is those people. They elected him, you know, <laughs> exactly. And, 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 and I, and I think that overwhelmingly, you know, we have to, the, the, the Republican Party, you know, as you've heard me complain about New Jersey. We nominated this very nice Italian grandfatherly type. Everybody loves Jack, you know what I'm saying, to run against Murphy. We had this wonderful Indian American guy. He would have won. Jack yeah. came this close. But the Indian American guy, basically, Jack was kind of trying to do a Yunkin, but he's a little bit too close to Trump for the place. Indian American guy, let's face it, there's a lot of people who said, hey, you know, I want to, I want to take this route. But I, I think you've got to start running people and the Republicans. Liz Cheney doesn't represent her, he doesn't represent Wyoming anymore. So guess what? She's that's why she's down 38%. 38. Yes. Now, the only problem there is um, the only thing that matters is the Republican primary and people have figured this out. So you have Democrats crossing over and multiple candidates. It's not just Liz versus one other person. Yes. Um, it's Liz versus several. So there's still a chance. And, you know, one party states have got to figure this out and have a runoff. If no one gets 50 percent in the primary, it would be weird to have a primary a runoff in a general, but it would it would be more representative. But um, so it's not a certainty, but it looks like her and her weepy friend, Adam Kinzinger, has already announced he's not even running again. Um, so, you know, I mean, the media I, so can I, talk up I, these I, dissidents I, in the GOP, but they're not they have no support. And I think the whole thing is, is it gets back to like the GOP. I mean, you talk she's off the she's a. You know, she's down there with the January 6th commission. And like I'm saying, she forgets that what people care about now. I, you know, I, I was talking to the guys who were uh, out 
you know, they, I, I got a new seal coat on the driveway, you know, and so I was out in a big job. I nice. brought the guys out a bunch of iced tea, you know, by I'm a bunch of my little iced teas for them and talking to them. And, you know, they're telling me the things the guy told me, he said, look, this is costing you 250 bucks more than it would have cost you three years ago um, because of fuel. And he said, then there's also the cost. He said, so, yeah, it's costing more money. But these guys aren't really seeing it because, you know, when we talk about inflationary numbers, that's why it drives me crazy. You know, rent's been going up a lot, too. Yeah. And also we're seeing a slight increase in mortgage rates. You know what I'm saying? So if someone's got an adjustable, you know, that's it. And rents are much more tied to adjustables. As a, as a, as a property owner, I can tell you, you know, I don't really lock stuff in for 30 years. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, and, you know, big companies especially are working on a one-year float. You know what I'm saying? So as rates go up, they got to raise to keep that margin you know they got to they got they got to raise they got to raise interest rates. I mean they got to raise rental rates, and so it hurts people all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one one quick digression since uh, you spend so much time in Asia um, is Japan um, because we talk about inflation. They are upset because inflation there is two point five percent. Of course, here uh, Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman, would kill for that. So would Joe Biden. But it's high for Japan. Their their target is two percent, but usually it's closer to zero percent. Their Fed governor equivalent, the head of their central bank, got in a lot of trouble because he said, well, Japanese consumers were sort of eating this, and so it's okay. He had to apologize. I don't know if he had to do the bow on camera South Korean style, but maybe that's coming. Um, the yen is in the tank. In fact, uh, Japan is still effectively closed for business travelers because the requirements are absurd. It's definitively closed for tourists, except they let in like 50 people on a tour. You have to have everything planned in advance. You know, it's just not fun. No one's doing it. Um, but you know, usually I think of the yen trading about 110 to 120 per dollar. It's at 135 right now. Um, you know, Japan has been has had such stability. The LDP always wins. There was that one time in the early 2010s where you had a brief government of the Democratic Party. Um, do you sense anything stirring in Japan that may, um, you know, uh, disrupt problem, that seemingly is, placid surface? No, the problem I've always said in Japan is essentially this, the left is crazy. In other words, you know, like they're not crazy on the woke issues and all that stuff, but they're crazy on foreign policy, on energy policy, on economic policy. So essentially, we've just got to uh, uh, we've 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 come into this whole world of like, yes, minister politics, uh, the old British comedy uh, of in Japan applies. Actually, a, a friend told me one time incredibly well, it's basically we're just going to go from, you know, you know, uh, Abe to this guy to this guy, all cookie cutters, all moving up. It's almost like a bureaucratic. There's no, there's no real, there's no real uh, thing. Now that said, um, now is a good time to buy some Japanese shares and back Japanese stocks. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not so sure I'd buy the currency and just play the currency. I think there's value in the companies. You know what I'm saying? And I would I would look for companies on the exchange and I'd I'd, buy, I'd probably consider buying there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not in Japan right now, but I started looking a couple of days ago. Um, but look, there are some really strong Japanese companies. They got strong balance sheets. Um, the only thing I would say is that, um, you know, I think that the Japanese have done a little bit better job than other countries in starting to address this immigration issue. You know, that's why it's so disappointing. COVID is such a such a problem for people right now. And what I mean by that is that, you know, basically it's it's messing up these mass migration movements that we're just starting to pick up. 
Mm-hmm. And we'll have to see, you know, I'm my favorite. I beat up on Taiwan way too much. It looks like we'll get some good news out of Taiwan here pretty soon about like zero quarantine and things like that. They just got to mm-hmm. get rid of the test. The U.S. just got rid of the test today. Good move by the Biden yes. administration. <laughs> finally. You know, um, finally. Yeah, look, it saves you 50 bucks. I mean, it's, it's expensive. You know, when you, when you fly it's a, back. Yeah, it's expensive. It's stupid. You have a legal right to be here for a U.S. citizen. And also, yeah. as it turns out, we've already been through the pandemic here. There are already a couple of cases. Yeah. So <clears throat> if one or two sneak through on a plane, well, look, it doesn't change anything for back, anyone. I've come back six or seven times. You know, I got to take out like three hours of my day to go to, a, you know, basically get i mean man in taiwan when they give you the the test i mean like you know they're touching <laughs> yeah, game matter like, like they're way like you lose vision head. in one eye yeah. yeah i mean you're like all right you know it's like you know you start you know you start you start you know chanting with snakes or something like that they're so far up there you know but it's uh <laughs> but it's it's just uh it's just it's just i, I think essentially i i like japan mm-hmm. um and i also think japan's turning into a bulwark in terms of the U.S. relationship, so I think that relationship is going to be very strong. It was, it was it was not as strong as people think it was actually. I mean, the last great yeah. relationship we had with Japan was probably under Bush, and that's just because the old school was there. But Clinton was good. But everybody was kind of looking towards China, and I, you mm-hmm. know we were ignoring our Jap- Japanese friends and our Japanese allies. But I think that's over now, and I think uh, you know we're coming back strong with them. But I I, I myself. I think Japan's going to be fine. I also think, quite frankly, that they're going to open up pretty soon. And once they open up, it'll be it'll be a wonderful thing. Yeah, hopefully after councillors elections, that's their upper house, which, you know, of course, has yeah. less power in the parliamentary system. <laughs> I have yeah, never I mean, figured out why that happened, but think, uh, that I happens think, in July. It's it's just it. You know, that's what we're having to see. But, you know, I mean, it, it is it is it is you just you do see things. And it's it's uh, it is it is something that, you know, but there is drift. I mean, we we're talking about the. Other people earlier, the Japanese, you know, we were talking about the Asian American journalist, how they get, you know, they go with a certain way. But you just see this whole thing in the country and in the world. It's like people taking the path of least resistance in a lot of ways. And in Japan, what's the path of least resistance? Don't offend anybody. Just keep ourselves shut. No action. Taiwan, somewhat the same way. That's why I say you got to give Singapore credit, even the Philippines and some other places that are open up. They know they got to open. Yeah. and and they're going to yeah. do it. And, and yeah, Singapore clearly is sort of the global city of Asia now. I, I think the same way that Dubai has, is. If we, have to pick, if, if we have to pick who survived COVID best, certainly in Asia, certainly it's going to be Singapore. Right. Will, and if you talk to people in Singapore, some are upset because, you know, they were wearing masks outdoors until recently. I think they're still wearing them indoors. You see the Secretary yeah. of Defense, Lloyd Austin, talking to his Chinese counterpart at the Shangri-La Dialogue, and they're both wearing masks. And you're like, what are these people doing? Um, but it's also a function of Singapore was surrounded by places that were completely closed. So even if you could leave Singapore, there was no place to go. You couldn't go home to Australia or next door to Indonesia or Malaysia or I mean, they were sort of stuck. But, uh, yeah, at least they, they tried and they succeeded. No, I mean, I, 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 I think the thing is, is that to me, I'll give Taiwan credit in one thing here. They're actually, you know, they're not. When Taiwan was going up in 25, 30,000, there was a lot of the KMT guys who were pushing for this. They were just trying to cause trouble. We have to close the borders. We have to do all these things. The Taiwanese people didn't panic. They just said, look, it's coming up. We know it's coming. We've been sitting here. I wish they'd open up and do a few things more. 
But there is something about the Taiwanese handling this that actually impressed me a little bit. You know, they kept going. Everything's kept open. I talk to my people there every day almost. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, they're, they're working from home. But a lot of times the offices are largely open. The schools are trying to do what they can do. But the thing is, is like the Taiwanese actually in many ways toughed it out. They've been toughing it out. You know, and I and I'll give them a compliment there for that. I think I think they did yeah. better. I have to say, I mean, I, I you and I have always had this five year thing. Will the Taiwanese fight or not? And I'm, this encouraged me in the direction that, yeah, they're they're not going to cut and run because you didn't see the mass panic that, you know, you did see in some countries, Hong Kong, for example, China. There's a lot of panic. <laughs> right. China's China's farcical. I mean, it's, you know, it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. it's just the slow motion train wreck where, you know, we've always wondered when the CCP was going to screw up the economy as, as centrally planned economies are always eventually screwed up by their governments. Uh, but it's it's just so clearly happening now. But don't take my word for it. Just look at GDP. Just look at I mean, which are probably exaggerated anyway, uh, you know, exaggerated on the upside. Um, not looking good. And so now we can conclude that, you know, actually China may never catch the U.S. in, in GDP. I mean, as we look, discussed I, I think the episode. thing is, look, I, I have only one big prediction on this. I think that what COVID has done and the way they've treated people with COVID, what is happening now is they have basically dropped the gate for people leaving. In, in, other, in other words, everybody's kind of milling around. Am I going to stay? I can make a lot of money. What am I going to do? But then they were treated this way in COVID. And for a while, they were willing to tolerate it. But now they've seen what's happened with COVID. They've seen the crackdown. They've seen Xi Jinping getting more and more militant. And I think what's happened is the gate has dropped. And they're leaving. And that's going to be one of their big problems. I, I, There's a guy who I follow. I can't remember Fu's first name. But there's a guy. Fu thinks that we probably see... 200,000 mainland Chinese a year leaving professionals, mm -hmm. not just everybody. Total number could be up to 400,000 just going to live in different places, but actual professionals leaving. You know, I mean, what is it? 50% of the students that go overseas don't come back. How many students go? How many students are overseas? 600,000. So, you know, that's probably, you know, depending if they're on my, if they're on a normal plan, that means 120. If they're on my college plan, it means a little bit longer. So, you know, you stretch <laughs> that number out, right? But the thing is, is that I, I do believe that the gates are down now. And when people leave your country, that's always my greatest fun on Twitter when the China guys come after me. I go, oh, so uh, you coming? You're not coming? <laughs> you know, are you staying? <laughs> you know, and by the way, why don't you put your name on your thing? In other words, their entire argument can be defeated quickly just by the fact that people are moving with their feet, you know, right. as in American cities to bring that back again. And as in, I mean, it's amazing to me when you watch the markets, the markets, just people's actions tell you what they want to mean. I mean, you know, my pet peeve at CNN and other places, I mean, I hate to go to CNN all the time, but, you know, I was watching CNN go, oh, you know, we're going to question whether we go to breaking news all the time or not. Who cares? Nobody cares about that. Oh, and the reason why is because essentially, internally, they don't care about their market. Zaslaw, who runs Discovery, doesn't care. I've come to that conclusion. I mean, they're never going to hire me, so I don't care. But I mean, they don't care. If, if you, They don't care about their shareholders. 
they're getting killed. The, the way they're getting killed by Fox and even MSNBC is just an embarrassment. Yeah. I mean, MSNBC is on a pattern. They know their pattern. CNN is an expensive operation that should be doing one thing and one thing only. They should be doing hard news. They should be the US BBC. They have a great global brand. They can do a lot of stuff with it. But no, they're going to they're going to let the woke people inside their companies take over. And news organizations have that problem. It's so saturated in their culture now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we saw this recently at The Washington Post, too, with is it Felicia Sanmez. So, um, you know, picking a fight with another Washington Times, uh, excuse me, Washington Post reporter who retweeted a sexist joke, mildly sexist joke that, you know, yeah, it wasn't um, a good joke. It was I mean, it was kind of. And uh, I, I mean, eventually she was shown the door. But, um, you know, she also the person she attacked is someone who defended her when she sued her employer lost case was dismissed with prejudice. Um, but I don't know. Do you think we're seeing the beginning of the end of this uh, this this the syndrome of woke uh, mediocrities using uh, whether it's Me Too or Black Lives Matter or just the sort of general intellectual McCarthyism using it to get ahead and successfully now we see with Johnny Depp prevailing in his trial, um, you see five Georgetown professors of ethics basically writing to the university saying, you say you believe in free speech, but you don't clearly. So choose one or the other. Uh, is it the beginning of the end? Is it the end of the beginning? Is there a reason for optimism here? I, I, I think the optimism is that people are fighting back and we realize what it is. Mm -hmm. Essentially, look, I, I, I have, I'm still a boss of, of, of in two different companies of each company has more than a thousand people. So, you know, that's, that's what I do. I manage people and, and I manage a business and I try to drive it forward. And I have been very quick. And I, and when we had Apple daily, Jimmy was very quick to notice people who had their own agenda. And most people's agenda is making money, advancing their careers and moving forward. And that's fine. I think the problem that happens has happened in U.S. companies. We did, haven't had the problem in Asian companies. And we you really don't get the problem in many things outside of, quote, unquote, the creative world. You know what I'm saying? Um, the, the issues that you have really come down to the fact that people have been using this as an advancement. And I think what really happened when you have something like the Washington Post, everybody just kind of figured out we're all on her target list. I mean, Dave Weigel did defend her. He's a left wing guy. You know what I'm saying? But he was, in her mind, white male, you know, where this could have easily been handled, where I remember I upset a, a, a journalist at Reuters, and she, she's a smart person, and she just sent me a note. She said, Mark, stop being a jackass. You know what I'm saying? And that was it. Now, of course, she had no hold over me or anything like that, but I was giving somebody a hard time, you know, on, about something. And, yeah, I mean, you have, you know, it, it was, you know, it, it, it was a, but it was a reminder that that's how you handle things. She should have probably gone over and said, Dave, you know what? You better take this down and don't do this stupid stuff anymore. But no, she was looking for a target. I also yeah. think she was looking to get fired. I think uh, she, was, she was hoping to get fired for get this. And she did. But I actually did talk. I actually did. I, I didn't talk to him, but I saw some on a Slack channel where uh, there's somebody I know and one of the employment lawyers that we deal with, she said, She's not going to be in good shape with this because basically that if they take this to a judge or a jury, 
she initiated the fight publicly. So right. that's going to be a huge mitigating factor against her. Right. But, it didn't didn't try any internal redress. Uh, just I mean, to it. But the thing is, what, what's she trying to do? I mean, and, and she's got a history, too. I'm, I'm very familiar with her mm-hmm. and a guy named Cayman up in, in, in where she basically accused the guy of sexual harassment. They were I mean, and it was very confusing, really divided. Well, I shouldn't say it was it was basically seemed to me like 80, 20. The uh, the uh, the China journalism community people were like, well, you know, and she destroyed the guy. And she was trying mm-hmm. to destroy Dave Weigel. And I think that's the that's what's happening. People are waking up to the fact that someone's trying to destroy somebody. Look, I'm I've had the commies come after me multiple times, you know what I'm saying? But there theirs is such a uh theirs is such a, a, a weak, a weak, a weak, a weak stand, you know what I'm saying? But the other thing too is we're engaged in serious debate we're engaged in serious matters and these this all this wokeness it finds itself in unseriousness back to my rant about the republican party what's serious what's serious for people is they're having to make decisions about what they feed their families they're having to make decisions if they can go on vacation or not they're having to make decisions about whether they drive someplace or not all these things are having to make decisions about and and we've got you know the jackass crew defending you know january 6th you know what I'm saying? Which I'm fine with defending it. I'm fine. But to me, I think you just make a mockery of it, but move on. Keep going right. on. But you've got everybody else and you've got you've got the cultural warriors who want to talk about something. You know, you've got what's his name? That guy, Charlie Kirk or something like that. I'm still waiting for that scandal to break. There's got to be one there. I'm just telling you, it's not natural. Um, you know, TPUSSA. I'm going to get in trouble for that then again, too. But I don't care. But the thing is, is like, you know, you just see this, this, there's this whole media bubble and it's CNN and everybody else there. And this guy who's running CNN, if he doesn't purposely walk in there, if you don't have a purpose in a, in a media organization, you're going to drift left. Yeah. Or if you're like Steve Bannon, if you don't have a purpose, you're going to drift into crazy land. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Either way. Right. Okay. You've got to have a purpose and you're, you've got to figure out what your purpose is. And, and if your purpose, they always say, we want to be one of the finest news organizations there is. That's not a purpose. Your purpose is we want to get stories. We want to tell the truth. We want to do it right. And we're not interested in your personal outlook here. Right, you know? right. I mean, I think of Catherine Graham. I think of some of the other, other, other great editors. I just can't believe that there's some, you know, some person came in and said, well, you know, I feel bad about this or feel bad about that. You know, it's it. It's one of the reasons, actually, I have a fondness for foreign correspondence much more. You know what I'm saying? It seems you know? to be a little more serious. That's yeah, actually, I mean, you know, I, on the Trump transition, I co-authored a piece with Newt Gingrich saying, and it wasn't saying just deal with foreign correspondence, but saying forget about the daily briefing at the White House. That yeah. is your political opposition taking pot shots at you, whether you're the president or the press um, secretary just try and reach beyond that have have run around like a cable show so you know here's a box with a reporter whether it's a local correspondent from the u.s or a foreign correspondent people who will ask serious questions about things that are of interest to their local audience um of course the trump administration didn't do anything like that it sort of got there inadvertently at the end where they realized that trump doing a dust off when he was walking a rope line to marine one or just you know, uh, talking basically to the camera guys less than, and then you didn't have the reporters on camera. 
it worked better. But yeah, um, yeah I think the people who are <laughs> focused on politics and focused on uh, political news are just not so domestically. No, I mean, it's 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 it's, you know, we come back to this, like, you know, what companies are you looking at? what companies have dropped and things like that. But it's all about the economy. It's all about inflation. And, 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 and I, I, just, I just believe when we look at someone like CNN or the Washington Post, you know, the other thing too is about the Washington Post is like, where's Jeff Bezos? I mean, yeah. basically the Post loses money. Everybody knows this. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's not making money. So imagine, imagine going into some place and it's basically a wreck, a shipwreck. And then people are going to worry about like what's on the buffet. You know what I'm saying? In other words, like, <laughs> you know, come on, folks, let's get serious. And if you're a manager, I don't see that. That's one of the things I would criticize the management team about very much. I would criticize the management team about that. I would say to the management team, hey, you're losing money. That's your excuse. If somebody gives you a hard time, you know, if one of these Dilwad media reporters calls you up and says, well, you know, what about this and the press freedom? Really? We're not going to have an open door if this keeps if this keeps up. We're not going to be able to keep the doors open. We have to make money. We don't have time for this person. At the end of the day, it's all about the economics, as we've been talking, and they right. don't have time for this person. And CNN is going to find that out pretty soon, too. I, I think Malone is and, and the problem is, is, look, look who they put in charge. When you read about Chris Leck, oh, you know, he's always a regular guest at the Hamptons at this guy's house. Wrong. <laughs> as soon as I read that, I'm going like, that guy doesn't have, he, he'll never have the stones to make the decisions. You know, right. he'll always be calm. Because, yeah, there, there, it's this monoculture. You have it in Silicon Valley, but you have it in New York-based media, too. So it's just, it's yeah. not that they've said, well, there's this conservative side and this conservative business model, and Roger Ailes discovered this tiny demographic called half of America and got rich by not uh, abusing it basically and cultivating it to some extent. They, they don't, don't even, that doesn't compute. They're just like, well, there's right and there's wrong and there's cultured and uncultured and we're cultured. Right? Well, I don't understand the desire to be liked by the right people. Like I, I go to this deli, this little deli down the road from us when I'm in the U S and then I've got a couple of places I go to in Taiwan. Everybody's nice to me. Everybody's friendly. We talk. They're just normal people. You know what I'm saying? But I don't understand this desire. Like people are always like, oh, I heard you weren't here. I heard you went. No, I'm never anywhere. I'm not interested. You know, I don't I'm not I'm not worried about what I go to. And I think that's the way you have to be in the media business. In other words, people go, oh, well, that's where you get all your scoops. If you're getting your scoops because basically you're hanging out with people, <laughs> that's I can tell you right now, that's a that's a bad that's a because you're getting used is what you're doing. So, you know, in other words, I mean, I, I have, there's a lot, there's a, there's more than a few journalists in the DC area who I've found to be quite good. You know what I'm saying? And I've kind of noticed all of them are not all that popular personally, mm -hmm. with, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's that, I mean, I don't want to name them cause I don't want to hurt their feelings, but you know, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, you don't see, you, they may go, they, of course they got to go to the white house correspondence dinner. With Barf, their yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you know, it doesn't, it, you know, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. But, 
No, I think that's it. I know that's my rant and my rave. And we might even want to cut this off. But anyway, <laughs> we will. Uh, we'll get to DocuSign in the next episode. I think there are going to be some interesting fallout from the market turbulence. So lots to talk about in the future. We also have what's going on with the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore. We'll see what the U.S. message to the Chinese is. I'll bet it's not that tough, but uh, hope springs yeah, eternal. Not, anyway. not, from, not from Austin. That's right. Uh, yes, but he'll have his mask on, so we're all safe. That's all the time we have for this episode of Simon White, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks.